Welcome to Trending in Education. This is Mike Palmer, and I'm super excited to get our, our generational expert, Tarlin Ray, also known as T-Ray. I'm allowed to say that, right? Yes, you are. Oh, I was worried because editing is hard. But anyway, welcome to Trending in Education, Tarlin. I appreciate it. I was worried. It's been, I don't know, like nine months since you had me back. I couldn't figure out what I said the last time. I've been replaying all the episodes I've been in. So thank yeah. you for having me back. You must have a short list. Not a lot of people are willing to come back, but thank that, you. That's where all those downloads come from. It's you re-listening to, to your own shows. It makes a ton of sense. We had you on recently. Maybe it was nine months ago. We had you on recently to talk about OK Boomer. As our, as our generational expert, we would expect nothing less from you. But now, sadly, this pandemic is happening. And with the pandemic, there's a lot of stuff coming out, a lot of articles, a lot of research, a lot of opinions about what COVID-19 is going to mean for the future, what kind of trends we're going to need to be tracking that relates to uh, this pandemic. And a lot of them are being framed in the context of how it will impact all of the generations at the same time. For you, as someone who has spent a little bit of time thinking about the generational zeitgeist that is out there, zeitgeists, plural, top level thoughts, let's start high level. What any thoughts, obviously no jokes here, much respect to all the frontline people, the healthcare workers, the grocery store folks, the people who are doing the deliveries, all those folks are heroic. They cut across all generations, all races, creeds. Every stripe of America, every stripe of the world is facing this pandemic and uh, much love and respect to the people who are out there on the front lines. That being said, from a generational perspective, any initial thoughts from you as far as how this pandemic is going to impact how we think about our generations and other generations and the world around us? Yeah, just to piggyback, I know you're in New York. And we've talked offline. Glad to hear you're staying safe. Mm-hmm. It is hard to watch Cuomo's daily briefings, mm-hmm. but you need to just to stay informed and yes. um, in California and Felt that uh, Cuomo and Newsom with some of the early moves to shelter in place. So this is a horrific time. A couple of things. One, on the, the lighter note, I came in wanting to ask because I saw an article, Donna Butts, a Medium article. Yes. About, you know, everyone, when you think about hygiene, you think about generations hygiene, you're going to think about hygiene a different way, but everyone needs to have their own 20-second song. Yes. And... I wanted to share with you what my 20-second song is. I want to know if you've, if you haven't thought about it, I'll give you time at the end of the okay, pod. Okay, I'm, th- I'm thinking right now, but yes. Yeah, as, as a Bill Withers fan, and we had oh, one of his songs we walked soon. into, and my yeah. friend married, Lean On Me is my 20-second song. Nice. It may last a little bit longer than 20 seconds because I just like singing it to myself. Yeah. And you think about washing your hands, there's a dual message because you're really trying to help other people, so wash your hands. Nice. So hygiene is one, two, I think about just Gen Xers. Mm-hmm. There's several articles talking about what this gener- the generation has gone through, this population of folks, and I'm a Gen Xer. Mm-hmm. But even starting in 2000 with the dot-com bubble mm-hmm. and then a large population, and we obviously went through 9-11 and 2008, 
this is unlike anything that we have ever seen. Yes. And to say that we're prepared for it, we're kidding ourselves. To talk to people in financial markets and sort of that is their role. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I've had friends say, I've now seen this a fourth time. So this experience, even though they're different macro issues, I am prepared for what's to come and, and the way to respond to volatility. The interesting thing for me, looking just at Gen X, is whether or not we learned anything from 2000, and we were younger, so less savings, 2008, where people's 401ks and everything got crushed. Right. Whether looking right now, we had girded ourselves, not saying you're preppers from a, just what you're buying offline and or, but financially, had you thought about being a little more risk averse mm-hmm. in preparation for what was likely to be the end of a bull cycle mm-hmm. and a bear market coming. And so for me, I think just thinking about ourselves and as Gen Xers, whether or not people Wait a second. Prepared. Wait a second. You're, I'm Gen X? No, sorry, I didn't mean to out you. Oh my God. All <laughs> sorry, these years. M- millennial. I thought it was a millennial. I didn't know. Okay. No, no, no. That's that's uh, right. That's right. I'll do the math. Yeah. But but then you read stats where sixty six percent of people, if they had a, a four hundred dollar a four hundred dollar bill, surprise bill come in, it would crater them. Mm-hmm. And so I think just broadly, financially, I think sort of money first is a foundation. It should have a much bigger impact than we saw in any of the events that we talked about before. Yes. Bigger than the bubble, which obviously hurt the market. Venture firms got crushed. There was pets.com and rocks.com. Right. Cosmo. Away. I remember getting my Krispy Kreme delivered K- by K-O-C-M-O, if you don't yeah. know, every night I would order something for a dollar and tip the driver because the business model didn't make sense <laughs> just because. But yeah, yeah. Smaller population of folks, 9-11, it's all of us girding together yeah. and it's more has an impact on our travel. And, and, you know, after a few months, we went back to traveling, feeling safe. So mm-hmm. I took off our shoes in TSA. Right. 2008, big tarp bailout, markets are getting crushed, mm-hmm. really hurt homeowners. But this one is everything. Yeah. It is. So long answer, I think from financially speaking, are the way that we look at saving and the way we look at risk, I think there's a population of folks that will just think very differently. Right. And will not expect another event like this. And by the way, there's no vaccine. So there's going to be, you know, highs and lows, and we're going to be potentially social distancing in the future. But mm-hmm. I just think we're going to be thinking about savings in a different way. I like where you're going with all that. Also, Gen X, the other thing that I've seen in the literature is that we were the the quote-unquote latchkey generation so we were used to sheltering at home like many many of us in our childhood and adolescence you know our parents were not in the home when we got home from school and we learned from you know 3 30 until six or seven six to seven (laughs) that we were just left to our own devices and now rather than those three or four hours now it's 24 hours and we're adults, but like we do know how to occupy ourselves. So that's the other thing that I I thought was an interesting idea that got out there. And also as, and I'll move, I promise if you're not Gen X, we're about to move from Gen X to talk about the other generations. But but the the last thing is that Gen X is always the forgotten generation now. We're not the, 
we're not the lost generation, but we're always like the forgotten one. So like there'll there'll be a an infographic that'll include boomers and millennials and Gen Z, and they'll be like, oh whoops, we forgot to include Gen X. So it does seem like the generational articles that I'm seeing now are not forgetting Gen X because I do think it's hitting in some ways it's hitting boomers and millennials in particular a little bit harder partly because of you know for the boomers they're towards the end of their careers they're they're planning to use their 401k in the next say you know five or ten years and the health risk is much more dire for them so there's a lot more of an adverse impact for them where for gen x at least there's there's still room for another chapter or two in our career arcs. And then on the other side is millennials, at least in terms of the literature, and I'll continue to say that because it's fun. They've been hit by the 2008 financial crisis and the burden of student loans. So at least in terms of the popular perception of that generation is that they never really had the opportunity to start to build that nest egg and build the resilience so that they're they're owning a home or they have enough financial security so that they're ready to withstand something like this. And then moving on down to Gen Z is just entering college, just graduating college, just entering the workforce. It's a very difficult time, I imagine, for that generation. And then the quote-unquote alpha generation who is behind Gen Z. Uh, so my son is a quote-unquote alpha generation. I think they may wind up being called the COVID generation or the Corona generation because the level of global impact and psychological, sociological impact of this pandemic is really profound. And the way we think about parenting, the way we think about safety for our children is really going to be transformed. So one of the things that I really think is interesting now is that all of the generations are having a shared experience. And then even the way that, that, you know, Gen X and the generation, you know, we'll talk Strauss Howe, the, the folks who originally came up with this idea of generational constructs, they were talking about American history. They were talking about in the US, this is the history of our generations. This pandemic is global. The change to the collective consciousness is a global change. And it's hitting all generations at the same time. It's hitting the entirety of our world at the same time. And I think it will be something that we will never go back from. I think the world that we were living in even two or three months ago is not going to come back in the same way. And, and I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, well, some of what a couple, I want to jump on a few one just back to the, the latchkey kid. I'll jump over from Gen X to millennials says Gen X parents. I have a Gen Z and an alpha. And you talked about that period of time from 3.30 to 7, 3 to 7, where you just get home, you have a key and you make a snack and you take care of yourself. Watch some TV. Yeah, I was always got to finish your work first. And play, you play, out, play outside. Play outside. Go play outside. Yeah. So while we're all sheltering at home, I had an alpha and a Gen Z, where instead of over-scheduling your kids mm -hmm. with activities, you wake up, and you ask them, what are you going to do today? Right. Yeah. And there's no, 
daddy's decided you're going to do this right. at nine because they're right. on stiff spring. This is our spring break. And so mm-hmm. my daughter yesterday learned to knit. Great. Took yeah. her like, it was five hours. Yeah. There was a scarf. There was a hat. Are you, are you getting some, some swag out of this? Or I you forgot getting... to wear it. My daughter made me wear it. It was like this double scarf. Nice. Orange thing. But it was, I even kind of had it on. Yeah. <laughs> to change. I was like, oh, I've had this on all day. So I do think there's something when we're back to the new normal, not back to what we, uh, the, the thought of having to keep up with the Joneses and make sure your kids are always doing something. Mm-hmm. I think that's, we were falling into that, what I think the millennial generation experienced and not actually giving the experience that we had as Gen Xers, which is you got to find things to do. You got to, you know, apply yourself in ways where your parents aren't going to be there and not directing you where your parents may don't, you may turn on the oven, the stove and you're just expected not to burn down the house. Right. So that was one you mentioned, you asked a different question, but I wanted to touch on the latchkey. Can you remind me? Well, I mean, by the way, I'm hearing the applause outside at seven o'clock in the East coast. So like we are all applauding our frontline healthcare workers and everyone else. Like there is, like that experience is something just to pause and reflect on. So like, I know we're talking about the generational differences, but like, this wasn't exactly my question, but like, my thought is that it's much more of a shared experience now rather than something that is segmented. And, you know, I always, I like to quote uh, Sigmund Freud at least once every so often. And he liked to talk about the narcissism of small differences. And I think generational thinking and parochialism, I think a lot of that is being replaced by just a shared understanding of our vulnerable humanity these days. And it's profound. And I think just taking a moment to reflect on that is important. And I do think even in terms of the way you're talking about uh, your daughters and the level to which they may have been scheduled before, that was in service of real goals and real objectives and pursuits that made sense in the old world. But as we're heading into the new world, like just everyone being healthy and safe at home together is something that I genuinely appreciate every day. You know, like when I am well and my, my wife and son are doing fine, you know, that's, that's like 70, 80% of what that's I'm trying to accomplish every day. Like to, I won today. Yeah. Now let's go see what the next day is going to bring. Yeah. And, so, and yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying, we talk about your experiences just makes me, so there's always uh, this tech divide, right? So people would make fun of me because I could be on a, on a zoom conference and my, the landline rings and someone will say, what's that? <laughs> or, my daughter and the Gen Z will use her mobile phone, but will only FaceTime. But when she FaceTimes, she's not even looking at her friends, but that's the way you use a phone. Right. I think the shared experience because of, especially my parents now are disconnected. Mm-hmm. They're sort of pushing themselves to learn ways to connect that they would have never learned. They would have right. just gotten the physical paper. They would have continued using the phone. So now I've, you know, the last got Zoom birthday parties mm-hmm. without an agenda. One year old birthday party is a little hard because yeah. you got everyone 
talking over each other and you're watching a one-year-old eat cake. Right. Um, you have moments where your parents are trying to figure out why the video, why they can't get their video to work while audio works. Right. And you finally ask the question, do you have a video monitor? <laughs> and they yeah. realize they don't have a camera. But it it is pushing a way to connect instead of being distant IT for the boomer generation. Mm-hmm. There's like a value to figuring out a way to help them so that you can bring this connectives together. So you're in a space with your your son and wife, but how do you bring the rest of your family and friends yeah. together so you can feel that? I, I agree 100%. I think at the same time, there's a new level of intimacy to even our professional lives where, you know, in some ways we're all the, the BBC reporter from a year or two ago. And there's even, there, there's an ad now that I've seen a couple times, which they, basically this guy's trying to talk to a conference room and his kids are like putting post-its on his face and just sort of raising hell. And that is almost part of, again, this, this whole notion of like our shared humanity and this level of like intimacy, this the boundary that used to exist between my private life and my professional life really has been stripped away. And some of us may have more meticulous backdrops and Zoom setups, but at the same time, you know, we're in our homes. We're all in our homes together, sharing these moments with each other. And in some ways it's almost more intimate than when you were at someone else's house because you're not actually in your own sort of comfort zone. And it's interesting how those experiences have cut across the generations. So the Donna Butts article you were, you were talking about, you know, there's, there's actual movements out there about trying to connect the generations, particularly for the, the boomers, the older generations, so that they stay connected and that we continue to sort of cross generational lines. Yeah. And I've seen, because uh, I've been reading the literature, I've seen folks talk about how in a potential scenario in the future, people isolate the elderly and see them less. But if anything, I'm seeing more of the opposite where there's, there's almost more reverence for the fact that we still have this wealth of wisdom and connection to the, the older generations so that we're, we're like celebrating them. And in some ways there is a forcing function for them at the same time where they are being forced to adopt some of these new technologies. But, uh, but I'm somewhat optimistic about the, the, almost the move away from faster modes of technology, like more junk food level of connection, surface engagements. I think we're all together f- really being confronted with our own mortality, our own vulnerability. And I think there are opportunities to, to sort of connect to that in ways that transcend these sort of arbitrary constructs. They're kind of like horoscopes, you know, astrological signs like, oh, Gen Xers drive like this, you know, and baby boomers drive like this. And it's like, those are all stereotypes. We're all humans. And you can't hide from the shared experience that we're all enduring together and we can actually find strength from that connectivity but it's all digitally powered you know so like that no i totally agree i also think you know some of what you're hitting on 
is we all have a shared experience. Work from home. If you told somebody you work from home, the look mm -hmm. on their face like, oh, okay. And yeah. then the, the conversation would stop. <laughs> right. As if you weren't contributing to society, weren't able to provide value to an organization because you weren't going to an office every day. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that could be driven, not to broad statement, from the way boomers, you, this is the way you act, yep. cycling down through Xenex. Mm -hmm. If you think about millennials and Gen Z, they're totally comfortable probably working in a more fluid environment wherever they are and a work from home would never cross their mind. I think they're really, organizations are really coming to grips with that. What mm -hmm. does that mean? How do you support people? What does a sick day mean as well? You know, I took pride until I ruptured my Achilles. I had never taken a sick day in my life. And I mm. took one because I had to get surgery. Right. But now, not only giving space for people, if they're able to contribute, I don't need to see you and have my thumb on you to, in order to drive if you're one of the most often, most likely boomers in Gen X or in leadership positions. One, yes. two, yeah. yep. if you're sick, stay home. Right. So that's helping the broader organization. We want you to get well. Right. The same way you're washing your hands, not just for yourself or other people, you're covering up your cough, you're wearing a mask. It's right. more than about you. So I think that's a mind shift as well, mm -hmm. especially for the older generations. Mm -hmm. The one thing I haven't seen because, you know, when you're young, you do things and you think about it sometimes later is whether or not it's hit home with millennials or Gen Z, what's happening. I think Gen Z and the alphas are more under their parents' purview. So you're having conversations at dinner at night. Yep. The millennials for a period of time where it's spring break and yeah. hanging out and you know, doing in, a bunch of things. I'm, so I'm in Brooklyn. I, I'm in Prospect Park. The, the folks who aren't wearing masks are generally boomers. This is a total... Take this with a grain of salt. This is only, I haven't been there that often. And when I've been there, I've only seen a subset of folks. But the people who aren't wearing masks are, I'm stereotyping here, are millennials and boomers. And I do feel like there is some commonality there where the boomers sort of like, listen, I made it this far. Why are you asking me to change now? Like, if I go, I go, you know, not to get morbid about it, but like there's a little bit of that. And then the millennials are a little more like, I'm invincible, you know, or I just, I just don't care. You know, so like, why don't tell me what to do, which is par partly a byproduct of this blends into to Gen Z, but partly a byproduct of being in your 20s. You know, like yeah. you, finally, you finally are an adult. You finally have freedom to choose things. And then somebody over 30 is telling you how to behave. You're just kind of like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And, uh, and that's why this and then the media loves showing spring break pictures i mean like exactly. i think it's just once one swath of the beach once one, one little area of the beach <laughs> everyone went home the, but cameraman, point over, the cameraman said okay come on guys crowd a little more together get closer, get come closer. On, see, we need this for file footage yeah they're like yeah. we're not keeping six feet it's okay <laughs> um to the boomers i mean i don't know if you struggled but struggled to get my folks to stop going to the store struggled yep. to get my dad to stop going to the gym every day. Mm -hmm. When I talk about that, he goes, yeah, but there's only seven or eight people. And I'm like, but you're crowded together. Yeah, and it wasn't right. until actually for boomers, some authority, the mayor, governor, the gym closes. Yes. That they say, wow, this must be a big deal. Right. So it's a, it's weird. So 
the boomers at times are looking to that to say they're not making their own decision based on information there. So I should start self-isolating. Like, oh, I gotta, they're waiting. Right. And the millennials potentially, much of a broad, broad stroke. Yeah. Stereotyping. Stereotyping just all yeah. over the place. Yeah. Or, yeah. or un- until, not looking to authority, but until it's just taken away. Yeah. <laughs> then they start to pause. They're like, how big is the fine? Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So the beach yeah. finally closed in LA. You can no, you can no longer hike. Right. And then it started to be like, oh. And then going out, all your basic services are gone. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, I guess I should stay home. So it's just interesting to see also the across various generations. Now, several of my friends, Gen X, they were as of December buying right. toilet paper. Right. In January, getting Perel. Right. And then separately thinking about distributors because right. they can no longer distribute to commercial properties, mm-hmm. getting one ply toilet paper in case they need a backup. Yeah, I heard there's a glut of uh, commercial toilet paper, by the way. There is. Toilet, yeah. So, yeah. So that's something else to keep track of. As long as you want to one ply it. Yeah. One ply at home? I mean, <laughs> in an airport, sure. But at home? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so how is this going to play forward? So we're a trend spotting show. You know, we're, we're conscious of the stereotyping, no joke. We have talked about that a few times on, on this show too, where a lot of the stereotypes about the generations are, are not really borne out in reality. And then the danger frequently is the meta stereotype. We talked about that when we talked about OK Boomer. The danger is the perception that you internalize of how other people think about your generation is, is where some of the danger is. So like we don't necessarily want to reinforce those stereotypes do you think this will change how we think about generations? Do you think we'll frame the generational constructs differently? Because I did a little more research. I read about Strauss how, you know, like there's, there's the prophet, there's the hero, there's the nomad, and there's the artist. So it's like horoscopes. They basically said, you know, the baby boomers are the prophet, the Gen X is a nomad, the Millennials are the hero, and then the the so-called alpha generation, although I still think the name will change, particularly because of COVID. Also, just alpha is too brave new world. Like, we need a, we need a better name there. But, uh, but they're the artist. It's kind of a, it's interesting. It's like a horoscope. It's pseudoscience. And we've just latched onto it because it's so marketable. The narratives are so strong. What's going to happen to that type of thinking? Is it going to get further reinforced by this? Is it going to change because we're all confronting this in a more shared way and any thoughts on this yeah without falling into the so the artist nomad hero so frame, so gen it's so gen x of you but yeah, yeah. Framework. <laughs> i guess i'm thinking more about the alphas and maybe i'll coin them i believe that is a generation that have more agency and more control over how they pursue their path forward than any of us. What I mean by that is it's awakening for a Gen X population who are parents and supporting their kids through school and, and or the ones that are hiring managers are running these organizations and leaders and nonprofits and for-profits. I think that the notion that everyone follows this linear path through school and in high school, and then the only way that you 
you have a true path forward, which has been on this growth, and it's just been going on for about 40, 50 years, it's college, it's a new high school, and then you have, once you're through that, then you'll have organizations say, okay, now you've got that stamp and I'll look at you. I really do think the alpha generation, maybe it'll be a little millennials, have a real chance to really break that. That path will no longer be linear. No longer in the same way work from home is looked on, was looked on, you know, with the side eye and this pejorative term, gap years, gap two years, right. others will not be seen. Like how, how do you, not, how do you not take a gap year now? Like if you're graduating from high school right now, if you were even in the remotest inkling of taking a gap year, it's almost being foisted upon you now. So so a couple of things are happening. One, do you, you start to take a hard look at what is a massive investment and in purchase, which is your purchasing access to a school. Mm-hmm. It's unclear right now that you have the return that you're looking for based on whatever major you're going to select. Yep. And as you, we all know, we don't know a thing once we are 18. Right. So the concept of going to do apprenticeships, gap years, but also I believe that there's going to be an unboxing of, of actual higher ed. Mm-hmm. So I've read in the literature. Nice. <laughs> Can I say it low? Yeah. This notion of being able to, for example, Yale has one of the most popular classes around happiness. Mm-hmm. So why couldn't I for a year, in less than a traditional MOOC fashion, but actually put together some of the finest classes and courses from the best people around Yes. to prepare me to go do the thing I'm going to do next? What am I missing? Mm-hmm. Community aspect, being a part of having opportunity to give to my university every year when they send me a nice note right and chris services but i just i think that people will look at individuals that are willing to piece together the learning they think makes the most sense for their path we'll see that as part of being having hustle yep you're a realist and you know what you want out of life and i just believe that alpha generation will have more agency and we'll have a generation of parents that are gonna let them drive more than sitting back and freaking out if they do not, if they're not part of the, the race is just trying to make sure they matriculate. Right. As soon yeah, as they graduate I, from high school into college. Yeah, it's interesting with, with the young son, I, I was having a conversation earlier with someone who was also uh, made, made a similar point, like who knows how long the shelter at home lasts, but if you have a young child right now, the level of connection to their parents that they'll get while their parents are in the home with them will be beyond anything that we've seen in previous history. So Matthew, my son, is, is getting lots of quality time with both of his parents. He's being sheltered at home, but he doesn't even know it. He just knows mommy and daddy are home with him all the time. And it's really uh, kind of a profound change. The last, last thing I wanted to talk to you about, you were kind of touching on a little bit when you were uh, talking about the Happiness Project and, and the course in Yale. What's going to happen to education? Like, what's going to happen to online education relative to face-to-face? We've talked about a lot on this show how K-12 and higher ed were not really the areas to look for uh, transformative models 
because they're they're so ensconced and established and rigid. So look to informal learning, look to learning and talent, workforce development for where the, the new models are going to emerge. I think a lot of that thinking has kind of been turned on its head by this pandemic where all universities, all schools, K-12, or even my daycare for Matthew has been forced to move some of its programming online. There's been a forcing function to really innovate. I've seen it called, uh, you know, emergency response teaching too. Like I've seen a counterpoint saying, this is not really the change and we'll revert back to what has always been the established model for higher ed and K-12. I'm not necessarily sold on that. I actually think what will come back will be different than what we had before. But I'd love to get your thoughts on how much is this a watershed moment for online learning and how much will this transform uh, how we think about the more traditional models of K-12 and higher ed, even as we return to the new normal? I I think, so especially for K-12, hard to, especially when you think about public schools, that forcing education or school online when everyone doesn't have access to some to Wi-Fi that relied on going to the library, some to just having a computer at home, it creates a lot of disadvantages. So to say it's a watershed moment and there's a real opportunity to, I'm not saying you said it, but to cut the day and you do the rest online. Right. There's, there's inequities across the board and it's just, it causes massive issues and you're already would be putting some students behind the eight ball because they, they don't have the, the means. Right. Do I believe, you said this is a global pandemic. We've always been sort of, we've been interconnected globally, but this more than in anything in my lifetime, you realize as you're watching something happen in Italy, that is the best model to think about what could happen to us in the United States. And you feel that you know, that pain and sort of what they're going through and you're girding yourself for that fight. So will there be positives that come out of this experiencing and exposing yourself to online education? Can there be certain K-12 schools that don't have access to all the resources, allow another institution, teacher for another school, private school, appropriate school chime in and actually provide supplemental education for students online? I think that is where the thinking is. It's gonna be a compliment Yep. not a replacement. Yep. But if you're thinking about business continuity planning or school continuity planning, if you are not rushing to make sure that you have a plan in place for anything, something happens, then it's on you. It's your fault. Cause we're going to get through what is a bad period in the spring. And maybe we have a little lull in the summer, but it's been, what are schools going to decide in the, in the fall? Right. So I think once we get through that period, what, it, what it's enabling teachers who are the engine of innovation, especially in K-12, they're going to come back and say, wow, what I loved about being online with these four things, how do yep. we do that? Yep. And you're not going to remove the intimacy. Kids need to be together. Mm-hmm. And you just, my daughter will have, you know, hour long play dates on Zoom and they'll run around the house on their iPads or phones, whatever, and or FaceTime and, and hang out. They won't Zoom. But so I think that's that's a K that's my quick K twelve look. From a higher ed perspective, I do just think it, naturally we're going to see massive enrollment declines. As you said, 
in some individuals based on what happened. You know, there's real hardship out there. They're going to be giving a second thought whether or not they're going to school, which would mean there'll be some calling of higher institutions, unfortunately, that are regional and local, yep. which would then mean the best avenue for students to get access to quality education would be online. Yep. So in my mind, it's not COVID, everyone's online. That means everyone, I'm, I'm just following the natural progression of what I think will happen in industry. Yep. And then what this has done is show there's access to quality education out there. And someone who may be sitting, no longer be able to access their regional or local school say, that's fine. I know I can still piece together what I need to do and piece together is the wrong word, but like have a quality education online yeah. and not miss out uh, just because I can't attend the local college that the enrollment declines are so massive international and student enrollments are so are falling dramatically that they have to shutter. Right. Yeah. It's going to be tricky. I agree with the take, particularly in the, the higher ed take that, some of this was an accelerant, I think. Some of this was on the horizon for maybe 2025 was when we were expecting just the demographics of the graduating class in the U.S. to be dipping to such a point that a lot of these middle-tier private universities were, were going to be competing for enrollments. And we already were seeing that even prior to COVID, some of them were beginning to close. I think that'll just accelerate now. So the, the more established top-tier universities they have endowments, they're resilient, they have the, the best and brightest teachers. Even if they need to move online, they already have some of that uh, connectivity built into how they deliver. And then on the other end, the latest version of MOOCs for higher ed, the Coursera's and the edX's and, and places, Linda, you know, LinkedIn Learning now, places where people can get access to quality education that's sort of decoupled from the, the monolithic bachelor's degree if anything, I think that will accelerate. And how do parents and kids think about how they should engage with that? Because I think we're all forced to now think about the future of work in new ways too, because we're trying to understand what jobs will be more relevant in the future. Like if you had a, if you had a child who was really passionate about a service economy job, what will that look like? Will that, how much will that come back? How much will a lot of these sort of shared experience commodities, you know, the, the idea of going to, going to a big rock concert, going to Coachella or, you know, going to bars and restaurants, like how much will that rebound fully versus be transformed in some way? I think the jury's a little bit out. I, I just think the new normal will, may not fully return to what we were experiencing before and, you know, if you're about to enter college or if you're in college or you're thinking about your first, what's your career going to be on the other side? I think there will be a shifting to what will be resilient. And I think a lot of that will be skewing towards what will be digital. And then I think a lot of that will make people want to gravitate towards, well, if it's digital, could I just learn it online? So I think, I think higher ed is in a more fundamental the existential challenge that I saw for them maybe five years down the road, I think they're going to start feeling, you know, starting in, you know, the, the, the fall of 2020. And I'm not sure how many of the middle of the pack higher ed institutions in the U.S. are going to have the resilience to be able to withstand this. 
and and that's a whole other topic for another show. I mean, there's there's plenty to get into there. But any 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 final thoughts, uh, Tyler? This podcast was wonderful. We need to. I don't know if you know, but in our March Madness, the finals in our March Madness were generational zeitgeist. It's still up in the air. You can still vote. Although by the time you hear this, you probably can't. But generational zeitgeist is going up against digital inclusion in the finals. Oh wow! So uh, tough so matchup. Tough matchup because you were even talking about it in K twelve where. We had Angela Seifer on the show recently, uh, who heads up the National Digital Inclusion Alliance. Like, how do you think about providing access to people who don't typically connect to digital? Uh, so anyway, lots going on. We're still we're still pumping out the content. We got we got Tarlin in the house. I just appreciate the time. But final thoughts. What do what do you what do, what do you want? Final to, thoughts. You... You're you're talking about, and I'm just going to leave it on the higher ed piece. I think parents and and students are going to make the transition. The the equation is not complete. The loop is not complete until hiring managers. So that goes back to generations. Some millennials, Gen X, boomers have made the shift as well, where they don't see their main feeder as the university, but see that they can find talent everywhere. And so that student who has a great online education, has the Yale School of Happiness, has the CS50 class at Harvard has a great Penn State class and has that as their experience for two years in the apprenticeship. Will that person get a chance and make it through the screen as fast as someone that has the big brand name? Mm-hmm. That is the last piece of the puzzle. I do believe that we'll have some acceleration. People, uh, there'll be an accelerated thinking on the corporate side, mm-hmm. mainly because what this is, this crisis has caused everyone to do is they have to real they realize they have to move fast they have to move when there's a lot of uncertainty and long-form planning around sort of ideas would be nice but they have to try things they're going to need individuals who are agile have hustle entrepreneurial and does that come from someone who sat in four years or maybe five years and had some fun or someone who hustled their way to figure out what they wanted to do mm-hmm. i would take the latter in the new world that's just my opinion. So long as the time. So long as they weren't doing doing jello shots at spring break <laughs> in March of, of 2020. Although exactly. maybe, they'll, maybe they'll bounce back. Who knows? But Tarlin Ray, wonderful conversation. Thanks so much for joining. Generational Zeitgeist is is kind of winning the collective game in some way. So I'd love to get you back more on the regular. Maybe even uh, explore whether we could start a start a separate show so uh so i'm more always to- i'm always open to it you know you have my number don't lose it this time <laughs> tarlin ray uh wonderful conversation to our listeners thanks thanks again for listening we'll be get back again soon on trending in education mm-hmm.